I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that celebrates everything weird, mostly movies. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me as always is... Billy Martell. And this week, we were originally going to talk about... These episodes are all out of order. Oh my god. We've, we've gotten so messed up. We've Tarantino'd y'all. The first and only man to tell a story out of chronological order. Our original plan was to talk about Eraserhead at some point for the 25th episode. Right. Uh, Who knows which numbered episode this is at this point. We decided to nix that yep. for a variety of reasons. Yep. Uh, sorry about that. Yep. But Billy did finally watch Eraserhead. I did, and I loved it. He loved it. Mm-hmm. Still found it strange as hell, even after all we've been through. Uh, absolutely. And I, I definitely give that a stamp of recommendation. If that's all that you wanted out of that episode, yep. it has my recommendation stamp. So, another thing we've been working on mm-hmm. is we're going to do a sort of Oscar roundup. Uh, we've been going through a lot of 2020... Well, obviously all the... As many nominees as we can go through. Right. Watching all the movies that the Oscars have nominated for... 2020. And because I don't know if you were aware, 2020 was a little odd. It's a very odd year. So odd it gave birth to the show! Yes! <laughs> Again. <laughs> For a second gave time. Rebirth to the show! Oh, gave afterbirth to the Af- show. <laughs> You're just an afterbirth. Eli. This, you know, whenever I'm describing this show uh-huh. to somebody, I describe it as a placenta sandwich. <laughs> Gross! <laughs> And that's what they say. And they say, please don't talk to me. And that's how all my dates end. I assumed that you were just explaining just explaining this to hapless customers in the store you work at. Uh, no. <laughs> These are the many ladies that I woo. And then I talk about placenta sandwiches. In regard to my creative output. Well, and I do it in this voice. I, I say, you I, know, my show is like a placenta sandwich. <laughs> I have some notes. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't want to hear them. I figured, I figured. But my point was, I didn't see a lot of 2020 movies. Neither did so I. So we've been playing a lot of catch-up. Yeah. And what we, what I wanted to do for this week is, we're watching a lot of Normcore movies. Yes, we are. Very, yeah. like, Mank. Yeah, Mank. Uh, oh, my God. Would you say that's one of the blander movies you've watched? I wouldn't say uh, bland, but I would say it's definitely a movie that I was the most bored watching of the movies that I have recently seen. Gotcha. Like, we've been watching, I, I watched Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom, yeah. I watched Sound of Metal, and both of those movies are not exactly movies that we would normally feature on no. the show, but because they were nominated for Oscars, I watched them, and they were both quite interesting to me. Yeah. But, no, they're good yeah, movies. Mank, while at the same time, while having a lot of interesting artistic flourishes that normally would be in a movie that we would talk on this program, yes. it did not uh, have anything to grab me and, and make me interested in what we was saying or doing. Gotcha. Yeah. My point is, we've been watching, uh, and we're going to be talking about, a lot of normal movies. Sure. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. So I want to, and I didn't get to see a lot of weird 2020 movies. No. So I want to highlight on this episode an overlooked and underloved 2020 weirdie 
called yeah. Horse Girl. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Ooh, girl noise. Yeah. That's that's, <laughs> that's the intro. Like that's the that's how the, the movie opens. Yeah. That's the title card. It's yeah. the nay and then. It's the horse girl, and she's gonna mm. put a spell on you. Mm, magic gonna horse turn girl. you into a horse. Wow. <laughs> See, I would have thought that a horse girl was a girl who was a horse, but this oh. is someone who uh, <laughs> turns people into horses. Right? Yeah. No, she she's she's like a sort of mutant centaur version of a My Little Pony doll. She's like a, gotcha. a, a fusion between a Barbie and a My Little Pony, and she sends hexes and turns other people into horse abominations as well. Interesting. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, let's let's write up a spec script. Let's. <laughs> no, that's the movie we saw. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I, this movie was on my radar for a while, mm-hmm. but I always avoided it. Why? The, descri- the description is not very enticing. No, it's that's, not. That's very true. And the little piece that plays, like if you're hovering over it on Netflix, right. is just Alison Brie and Molly Shannon talking about very banal things. Yes, which is how the movie begins. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, eh, this is... I like Alison Brie. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this is sort of weird, but right. And so I finally just pulled the trigger because we're watching all these 2020 movies, right? And, and part I... of because of the way that the show is structured, we thought rather than just doing an Oscar predictions yes. episode, we should also look at movies that may have been overlooked. So absolutely, we, we watched this. We watched we watched Bill and Ted Three. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> we've. We we we're wa- we're watching as many uh as sort of esoteric twenty twenty movies as we can. What little there was that was actually released. Yes, in and what little we can easily find without right. spending yeah. a lot of money. Like one of the movies I'm going to watch, even though I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be ending ending up calling it a big overlooked classic, is Corona Zombies. Okay, because it came out in twenty twenty, and it's and fucking it's, weird. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I watched this movie and I loved it and I wanted to highlight it. Yeah. Uh, wanted to give it its own special time in the sun. Exactly. So it wouldn't be overlooked. Horse uh, Girl is a Netflix original. Yep. It's directed by, I believe his name is Jeff Baina. I believe so. Uh, stars Allison Brie. It's co-written by Baina and Brie. And we'll get into more about that later. Because it is interesting. It is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's about a young, awkward woman. Mm-hmm who's very socially removed, very socially isolated. And her, let's call it a descent. Okay. Sure. She has a descent. Yes. This is why you, once you watch the movie, you realize why the description is so bad because it's actually kind of a hard movie to describe. It is. Without just spoiling it. I do think that it is helped by not knowing what you're getting into when you watch it. A little oh, absolutely. Bit. Uh, I this is one of the movies. There are very few movies. I think between this and Deer Skin, these are the two movies that I've watched for this podcast that I've had the least idea what the hell I was getting into. Okay. When watching it, and you know, my ethos is very much know as little about something as you can. Yeah, that's some. That's the way Brad always likes to approach movies. Is just. As little idea of what's going on as possible. And the reviews for this were also very mixed, so I wasn't yes. like jumping out of my skin to watch it. And Which is bizarre because this movie this is, is great, fucking incredible. Yeah. Uh, but let's get into that. Sure. Would you recommend 
Horse Girl? Yes, absolutely. Like a hundred times yes. There's there, I I want to highlight one review in particular because it pissed me off. Uh, this is the review that's quoted from it's on the Wikipedia page. It's it's from Rotten Tomatoes apparently. The the review says Horse Girl proves unwilling or unable to explore the deeper themes it addresses, but this unusual drama is anchored by Alison Bree's committed performance. What the fuck movie were they watching? I don't know. Because this movie is great. Again, not getting into spoilers, not letting you know exactly what the movie's about, but this movie takes a, 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 an element that has been done in movies before. Yes. It takes something that can happen to people and, and, and does in the movie, and it does it in a way that I personally have never seen it done before without there being uh, an extra twist at the end of, ooh, maybe maybe it's not, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm <laughs> being super vague. But, like, it's... I thought this movie was absolutely beautifully done. Very sensitive. Very um, appropriate to yes. the subject matter. And it's not the most perfect movie no, there that are problems I've ever with seen. It. Sure, there are problems with it. But I thought that Despite it being directed by a man, it really felt like uh, a movie from the perspective of this main female character. It felt like it was telling her story yes. in a very sensitive and appropriate way. And in, in a way it is, yeah. uh, because Alison Brie was a part of the writing process. Right, right. And we'll get into why it's germane yeah. to her. Obviously, I would recommend it as well. Yeah. There are some amazing visuals in this movie. Yes. Uh, all the acting is... Oh, Top yeah. notch. Oh, yeah. I'm not actually usually a Molly Shannon fan, personally, but I thought she was fantastic in this movie. She was great. Like, perfectly cast. Um, yeah, and we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit more about her performance yeah. in a bit. Also, uh, the, the star of Disney Channel's infamous original movie, Radio Rebel, <laughs> plays Alison Brie's uh, roommate in this movie. Debbie she, Ryan. Debbie Ryan, and she was great, too. She was fantastic. She was I've fantastic. never seen her in anything. I knew she was like a, a Disney starlet. Yeah, Radio Rebel is famous for her bad acting, and she gotcha. is fantastic in this movie. She, 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 I mean, she is an adult now, so that True. might have helped. <laughs> well, what's more surprising, let's talk about we said that this movie was co-written by Jeff Baina yes. and Alison Brie. Yes, let's what clarify they, that. What they did was they came up with a 35-page outline that was very thorough mm-hmm. and included what points the cast needed to hit when. Like, they would have goals for the scene. Right. They would have things that they needed to get out. Other than that, all the dialogue was improvised. Right. So Debbie Ryan's performance is even more... Impressive. Impressive because she was improvising. Yes. And I think that's why you like Molly Shannon so much is because she, they wanted to, they want all the dialogue to be sound natural. And yeah. it does. It really does. But not in the way that you're, like, there's a lot of movies where there's improvisation and there's just sort of this, the dialogue does sound natural. Like, I would argue that uh, the dialogue in Ghostbusters 2016 sounds natural. Yes. But it doesn't sound Right. Like, right. it sounds like actors who are coming up with stuff to say. This felt like a movie that was written. It felt like a oh, yeah. written movie. Like, nobody overstays their welcome. Nobody has a joke that's out of place. The director was very... In all the interviews, you can tell how serious this guy is about making sure that even though we're making shit up, we're not 
here to play. We're here to yeah. work. This isn't a Judd Apatow movie. No, this isn't a Judd Apatow movie. This isn't a whatever the director... What was the name of the director of 2016 Ghostbusters? Paul Feig. Paul Feig. This is not a Paul Feig movie at all. This was done well. This was, was really well done. Great. And I don't want to get into it, into it too much because we're not here to talk about this movie. Yeah. But another movie I love called Coherence... Yeah, starring we're gonna Xander. Have to talk about that movie. Absolutely, yeah. starring Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Weird. Coherence was done in a similar manner and is yeah. a, a sci-fi drama thriller mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah, improvised drama is so more fucking interesting than improvised comedy. It is. It really is. And, and if it's done right, because they're again, Paul Feig oh. is Paul Feig directed a movie called A Simple Favor. I've seen clips from that movie, and that film is also improvised and still feels like 2016 Ghostbusters. It still feels like a bunch of actors. Paul Feig is infamous for not, for really liking to hang out with his actors. Okay. And not knowing how to tell them to stop. Uh, He just really likes to let people have fun. This director is like, cut the shit. We're going to go back and you're going to do it right this time. Yeah. And it pays off wonderfully. All the... The presence of the character's relationship mm-hmm. is so strong. Like so you, strong. You get the dynamic between Allison Bree's character, Sarah, mm-hmm. and her roommate, Nikki, yep. uh, between Sarah and her stepfather. It's yep. all so strong and He's so clear. He's not even identified as a stepfather until a later scene, but you immediately understand, yeah. oh, stepdad. There is some the sort of connection he here. in the scene, yeah. So we begin our movie with Sarah, played by Allison Bree, yep. at her job at a craft store called Great Lengths. <laughs> She's talking with another employee, Joan, played mm-hmm. by Molly Shannon. Yes. And my note, Molly Shannon is immediately great and so natural. Oh, my God. The improv dialogue is already paying off. Yeah. Now, here's another addition to uh, Brad's weird childhood crushes. <laughs> okay. Molly Shannon. Really? Yes. You, you were the big thing for Superstar. Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, but just, we, I think any, almost every female on SNL Okay. I uh, was just because I watched a lot of it as a child. Nora Dunn, hell yeah. <laughs> the only like eleven uh, year old with a huge crush on Nora Dunn. <laughs> I mean, somebody had to. Good, good for Molly Shannon. She can yeah. get it. Uh, no, she's doing a fantastic job in this movie. Her role is kind of to be like the the mother figure, the, the... motherly best friend to yes. Allison Brie's character, Sarah. As they're talking, Joan catches the back quarter of a horse passing by the store window. Sarah leaves work, and here's a great detail. Mm -hmm. Sarah has a club on her car, which was an anti-theft device that was popular in like the 80s, 90s. That's right. I I thought about that when I saw that. I was like, I haven't seen one of those in ages. It's a wonderful detail. Also, her her car is a 1991 Volvo, so it's even (laughs) more perfect. Uh, Next, Sarah is at a horse ranch. We see mm-hmm. a young girl ride a horse. Then Sarah talks to this disinterested girl about her riding style. Mm-hmm. This is a great bit. On my first yes. watch, I thought this was just to show that Sarah's boring and awkward and doesn't really connect. Yeah. But as we're going to learn later, something more is going on here. There's the biggest... Not the biggest. There's a big element of this movie of the people in your life that you don't know. Yes. There's Alison Brie... Both plays this role super sympathetically and also super annoyingly. So she's a kind of person that you would meet in your life and you would immediately, you immediately sympathize and understand 
every character who comes up to Allison and is or comes up to Sarah and is like annoyed by her or wants her to go away or is lying to her about something yeah. because they just wanted to get her away. And you were like, oh yeah, I would do that. Like this is this is a yeah. this is someone who I would be like, oh come on, I just I'm I'm trying to get through my day at work. I'm trying to get through my day at work. Yes. Get, get away from me. But like there is that element of you don't have no idea what's going on in that person's life. And over the course of the film, you both sympathize with everyone that she comes in contact with, but you also sympathize with her and you understand oh, who she is more and more and why, like spending time with this horse and criticizing this little girl's riding lessons yeah. is so important to her. It because feels so important her to her. Her criticism is that this girl was looking around while she was riding. Yes. She's like, you need to focus. Yeah. Very attached to this horse, right? Very attached because to this horse. she's the horse girl. Because she's the horse girl, and it's it, it it creates this very unique kind of uncomfortable awkwardness as you're watching this movie and sympathizing with everyone at the same time, even though they're antagonizing each other. This is a great examination of the type of person and character that you don't see a lot as the star of the movie, which right. is the very nice people who are very bland and sort of shut off. Yes. Um, because as we're about to see, mm -hmm. Sarah's favorite pastime mm -hmm. is watching her favorite show, Purgatory. Pur which I want to make my new religion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love... I'm, I'm a big Supernatural fan. Yes, I know it sucks. But, like, I'm a big Supernatural fan. And this is obviously at least somewhat based oh, on that. Oh, yeah. Like, they, watched... even, they steal the, the font and the... <laughs> I've watched barely any Supernatural, and this was the funniest shit to me. Oh my god, it was so funny. And it has, like, the nerdy... The the character who's supposed to be the nerd, but is way too hot to be the nerd from uh, one of the NS NCIS or CSI mm -hmm. shows, is playing the main character, Darren, Darren Colt, in the show. Yes. I absolutely loved it. And also, in the credits at the end of the movie, there's a special thanks to Jensen Ackles, okay. who's one of the leads in Supernatural. And I have no idea what the fuck he did, other than maybe they called him up and he was like, oh yeah, I can tell you exactly what font we use for Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, Jensen Ackles was in charge of the typography. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what he did for this movie. Maybe he just gave them money. I don't know. Maybe. But I couldn't find any sources for it, but... I found that super interesting. Yeah, and the purgatory scenes are the only ones that were fully scripted. That makes sense because yeah. they feel yeah, yeah like super they, scripted. They feel like they could be straight out of one of these shows. Like they yeah. almost don't feel like parody. They're like check, checking a body, and they're like, "Oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's the mark of Hades." <laughs> uh, Sarah's roommate Nikki comes home with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Nikki is played by Debbie Ryan, as we mentioned. Yes. Uh, mostly known for her work on the Disney Channel. Right. Her boyfriend is played by Jake Picking. Mm -hmm. uh, and he played Rock Hudson in the Netflix series Hollywood. Oh, which good is for him. probably why he's in this. Probably. Netflix does like to work with people they've worked with before. I assumed when I started watching this, Alison Brie probably got this. Made because of, of glow. glow, yeah. And Toby Huss, who plays the owner of the horse stable or whatever that Alison mm -hmm. Brie goes to visit, is also on Glow. Oh, is he? Yes. Yeah, so I'm sure. I'm sure Netflix is like, yeah, come do this movie. We'll give you a three film contract. Sure. Also, yeah. uh, Toby Huss is in the new Alison Brie movie, The Rental, as well. So maybe oh. they're just bros. Maybe, maybe. I mean, they definitely. She's definitely worked with this director before. 
uh, in you said what, what was it the, the the little hours the little hours she worked with him before yes. there so there's definitely a sort of like a let's get together and make this passion project kind of a feel to this exactly film. Mm-hmm. Toby Huss by the way mm-hmm. uh, on one of my favorite childhood shows Pete and Pete oh. <laughs> He was already the strongest man in the world. Was he? Yes. That's great. He, I love Toby Huss. Oh my God. He is fucking fantastic in everything. The strongest man in the world. In the world. We should do a Pete and Pete episode. We definitely should. Yeah. Uh, I only, I only recognized him as, I think he played the dad of the main family in Halloween 2018. It's possible. I believe he did. I'm sure if he was, when we saw that in the theater, I went, Toby Huss. <laughs> Probably. In right. the night, uh, Brian, Nikki's boyfriend, walks oh, out to the ki- First, just a quick note. Uh, so it gets to nighttime. We see uh, Sarah go to bed. And Sarah pulls up her iPhone, and she has one alarm. One alarm? Okay. Is is that something that normal people do? Because I every... only have one alarm. Oh, really? Okay, because I have like 27,000. I also still have an phone. alarm clock. Oh, do so, you? And I set it for the latest time possible. <laughs> No, I, I, me and both, both me and my wife, we, we have like dozens and dozens of alarms on our clock. I thought that's what everybody did, but I guess, I guess she only has the one. I mean, I, I have I'm the weird one. Anyway. But in the night, Brian, Nikki's boyfriend walks mm-hmm. out to the kitchen for water and this fucking water pitcher is just out on the counter, <laughs> which I did not appreciate. Who the fuck wants room temperature water Who in the, the f- middle of the that's, night? That's how you get a fucking moldy pitcher. Is that's how you, how get, you that. get uh, a staph infection. Yeah. If you like root it up through your urethra. So that's yeah. why you don't do that. That's why you don't do that. That's the only reason. The only. <laughs> but now Sarah is... She has her face practically pressed against the wall. Like the Blair Witch kid at the end of Blair Witch. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And Brian's like, hey, Sarah, what's up with you being creepy? Mm -hmm. And she mumbles an apology and stumbles off. Yep. Next, we see Sarah at a grave, uh, Mm -hmm. her mother's grave, as we will find out. Yes. And the next time Sarah's at work, it's her birthday. Oh, and she forgot. (laughs) Yeah. But Joan has gotten her a kit for a DNA analysis company. Because that's what they were talking about at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And during her shift, Sarah assists a fortune teller who tells her that a certain peach fabric has protective energy. Mm -hmm. And hilariously, the fortune teller gives her her card, which is a smudge stick. Well, no, it's her card is an actual card. It's just it's but it's strapped, on the smudge stick. It's strapped to a big smudge stick. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever done any smudging? I have never done any smudging. I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, we should go on a smudging tour. I we should. Uh, <laughs> yes, we should. Like a wine tour, but just uh, houses with shitty energies. <laughs> I wrote down. Uh, you run into so many more psychics in movies than in real life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. Maybe psychics in real life are just more modest. Maybe, maybe. I ha- yeah, that's that's true. I don't, <laughs> I don't usually ask people at my yeah. workplaces what they do for a living. Are you a fortune teller? Uh, do you read the leaves? I I have personally. Can you known. cast the bones? <laughs> I I do have. Like, I what I do. Yeah. To like every fiftieth customer. Right. Is I go back mm-hmm. and I get a live chicken. <laughs> and I gut it. Right, in front of yeah. the customer. In front of the I customer. Just, I violently tap them on the shoulder, <laughs> and then I look them straight in the eye, and I disembowel the chicken, and I say, "What do you think about this?" <laughs> oh, you don't you don't cast the bones of the chicken. You no, just I'm seeing it? if they can. Oh, I'm seeing if they can read the guts of the chicken. I see. 
So it's it's your it's your sort of witch detector to exactly. see if, to see if they react. It's my witch detector, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, not really for witches, more for uh, seers, seers, uh, fortune tellers. Yeah. Um, if they're like, hmm, it's going to rain on Wednesday, you know, oh, you know, that you've you know you've met one, and if they say, oh, you're a maniac, you're like, okay, well, I know you're not a seer well, now. Okay. Yeah. You probably work at a bank or something. <laughs> Exactly. I also always keep an eye out for people with Technicolor dream coats. Right, right. Uh, interpreting yeah. dreams is a sort of fortune telling. Sure, sure. And whenever, if in, what happens if they tell you, yes, I can see the future, what do you do? I kill them because that's against <laughs> the will of God. Unless they're wearing a Technicolor dream coat. True. In which case they're God's chosen. Exactly. And then you send them to Egypt to become a king. Exactly. And I make uh, much ducats. <laughs> How many ducats would you say you've uh, uh, gathered using this method? 30 talents. 30 talents worth of gut ducats. Yes. Okay. Well, kids, <laughs> that you should you should be more like Brad here and, and start running a business, being your own and start boss. Start selling people to Egypt. Identifying seers and yes. selling people to Egypt. This is my side hustle. <laughs> it's I go through a lot of chickens, mm-hmm. but I meet a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, that's what you call making your own opportunities. Exactly. Yeah, being industrious. Sarah is back at the horse ranch. Sarah is back at the horse ranch, once mm-hmm. again watching the girl. At least you called it the horse ranch. I just referred to it in my notes as the horse place. Well, <laughs> the proper term is stable, I think. Okay. Uh, so I was struggling a little bit, too. Sure. Once again, Sarah is not in the riding area, but outside the fence. Mm-hmm. And someone else is giving guidance and instructions. Toby Huss. Right. He does not seem happy to see Sarah. And maybe this is because he works with one of the worst animals on the planet, horses. <laughs> not a fan of horses? I like glue, and dogs seem to like dog food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to eat horse. Oh, yeah. Just to try it. Sure, of course. Uh, I'd like to eat rabbit just to try it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like, like to rabbit. eat human just to try it. Uh, I can't follow you there. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're lying. But... I, I'm not... <laughs> Cannibalism actually really freaks me out. That's one of the one. That's one of the things in movies that still scares the shit out of me. Yeah, is cannibalism. Whenever that comes up, I'm always like, Aah! like, wow. Yeah, I think everybody wants to try human flesh if they're being honest. Right. I'm going to set up wrong. a sting operation. <laughs> I know it's not wise to tell you about it beforehand, but I'm following the Johnny Carson rule. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do it. Right. Okay. And then I'm going to say, "Hey, you just ate some human flesh," and I have it on camera. <laughs> Okay, that's that seems like a good way to make me throw up. And the owners of the stable sort of shoo Sarah away. Well, not before she... She gives a lanyard to Willow the horse. Yes, she, because the horse's birthday is her birthday. Exactly. They have the same birthday. Do you share a birthday with any animals? Uh, Garfield. Really? Yeah, July 28th is my birthday, and it also happens to be... Actually, I don't remember. It's either Garfield or John Arbuckle's birthday in universe. I hope it's John Arbuckle. Yeah. So if you ever meet him, you have an icebreaker. <laughs> and then you might be able to fuck. No. On a scale of one to ten, how badly do you want to fuck John Arbuckle? He would never cheat on Liz with me. He and Liz are are a, are a tight item. In a dream world where John Arbuckle has an open marriage. <laughs> and I also have an open marriage. And you also have an open marriage. Right, yeah. Scale of one to ten, how badly do you want to fuck John Arbuckle? Oh, one. 
Again, I feel like you're lying. <laughs> you, with your hair, have a very John Arbuckle style. I do. I have a very, my hair is a very John Arbuckle hair. Yes. That's, that's very correct. Like, again, John Arbuckle, we know that Liz looks like Jennifer Love Hewitt from the live action movies. Yes. So, like, there's, I have no chance. Well. Even if I was interested. I think all sane human beings would say 10 out of 10. <laughs> For John Arbuckle? For John Arbuckle. <laughs> I guess since you just compared me to John Arbuckle, that's a compliment, but... I guess, but <laughs> I don't want to gobble your cock like lasagna. <laughs> Meanwhile, when I read a Garfield strip, I'm just going to town. <laughs> On the imaginary L- cock. <laughs> Less Garfield, more John. <laughs> so That's the problem with those movies. <laughs> Not enough John Arbuckle not in those enough, movies. Not enough full frontal John Arbuckle nudity. <laughs> I can, I can, yeah, I can count the number of nude scenes in those Garfield movies on one hand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's counting the deleted scenes. For her birthday, Sarah ends up at home. She said she was going to go out with some girls from her Zumba class, but really that meant she was going to awkwardly begin to try and invite the Zumba instructor yeah. out for a date or, or something. It's like a fun time. So like go for a drink go or whatever. Go for a drink or whatever. But, or go to then, see her horse. And then... It doesn't happen. She doesn't happen. She gives up halfway. And, and she ends up at home watching Purgatory watching and spitting Purgatory. into the tube of her DNA kit. Yes. And Allison Bree's spit in this scene is very impressive. It's very... <laughs> very stringy it's very i don't know if they use an effect like gave her some goop well i think she's eating at the same time isn't she so i, think I don't she's, know i don't you don't want those particles in there they're you, gonna you don't want the particles if by, you're eating I spaghetti think... they're gonna think you're 100 italian <laughs> oh my god this person is part is part pig uh, actually you'd be chinese because they invented the spaghetti oh did they i believe so i think they oh. invented all noodles <laughs> I think that might be some bullshit. I don't know about that. I think all noodles originated in China. All noodles came from China. Life originated in Africa, but noodles originated in China. That's my bumper sticker, and it doesn't come off. (laughs) It took humanity until they'd spread out to China before they were like, you know what I figured out? Noodles. Noodles is good shit. Well, it's because they had all those eunuchs. And what the fuck else are they going to do? They're not going out there getting laid. I can't masturbate. I need to start making noodles. I just, I'm going to play around with fucking rice and (laughs) And flour. uh, flour Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This. God, if only Anthony Bourdain were still alive to hear this. (laughs) This wonderful. Beautiful food reporting. (laughs) Nikki comes home with her boyfriend and insists on getting Brian's roommate over for fun hangout times. Who they've been trying to set her up with. Uh, Sarah puts on a nice dress and Brian's roommate is named Darren. Yes. Which Sarah points out is the same name as the character from Purgatory. She freaks out. She's like, oh my God. Oh my God. This is the same name as the guy from Purgatory. And it must have been improv because there was no script. Debbie Ryan goes, maybe don't do that. <laughs> it the mo- At most, the director said, have a reaction when she says yes. that. At most. But just, yeah, maybe don't do that. Uh. <laughs> Darren is tall and awkward. Yes. Uh, he actually, like, kind of reminded me of... John Arbuckle? The the comedian who was in the other movie. Sasha Baron Cohen? Promising Young Woman. Oh, Bo Burnham. Bo, he kind of reminded me of Bo Burnham. Yeah, he has a very, very Bo Burnham very energy. Very tall, sort of like, uh, very awkward, yeah. you know, sort of thing. It, it So, gave me flashbacks of Promising Young Woman there for a second. Obvi- thankfully... 
no spoilers for Promising Young Woman, but he's a much nicer guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was, after watching Promising Young Woman, it was nice to see a movie where most of the men are very decent people. Most of the people in the movie are very decent. They're just trying to deal with life. True. They're all just trying to get through their day. Uh, Darren is played by John Reynolds, who <clears throat> most people have probably seen on Stranger Things. He's one of the deputies. Oh, good for him. Uh, he's also one of the stars of the TBS show Search Party, which I've heard very good things about. Good. Good for him. Brian insists on playing his own music yes he play and my favorite one of my favorite lines in the movie i laugh so hard is it it cuts to later in the party the mu- his music is still playing and he says this is the fourth track <laughs> in a 12 track album yes it's a concept album called, called a baker's, baker's dozen. dozen and they and start arguing about because a baker's dozen is 13 they start arguing about that but i just love the idea one the fact that he had to say this is the fourth track is is like you know exactly what kind of hell they're all living through. Yes. And secondly, the you built a concept album over the number of tracks in your album, you absolute dumbass. <laughs> and there's another great moment where what I what I mean when all the relationships are so fully realized. Yeah. When, when Brian is like, I'm gonna put on my music. Debbie Ryan is like, Yeah, babe, your music's great. But like, it's so. It's so realistic. It's, it's so tactfully it's done. Wonderful. There's no, at no point where I'm like, oh, that was a like a Joss Whedon bit of oh yeah, like no, there's no pattern dialogue. There's it's no all, frills. It's all stuff that people say to each other. Yes, all the time. Like even even when uh, Brian is a very unhelpful character, just in general, especially when it comes to Sarah, he seems yes. very annoyed by her presence, which is understandable. It's Imagine very if your girlfriend had a cuckoo roommate. Right, you would be you would be annoyed by that. But like so she tells him like bring bring your roommate over and he says he's probably asleep probably right? busy probably busy like that very sort of like i don't want to do that but like in a tactful way and there's a great bit where sarah doesn't want to do this either so she's right. like it's late and brian's like yeah it's late and <laughs> nikki says it's 8 30 <laughs> it's classic it's great and i'm sure a lot of it is the magic of editing but sure it flows they, so well. They did a lot of takes, I'm sure, but like whatever they ended up with, they ended up with exactly what they needed to make these scenes work, and that is tremendous. So the four of them drink and smoke some reefers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren prattles endlessly about his ex to Sarah. Right. She loves it. <laughs> she is just happy for any attention, for yeah. any other male attention. She's just a very sweet person. She yes. just really likes to make... People feel good. And it's also, without her saying it, obvious that she doesn't drink much or smoke marijuana. No. I'm surprised there wasn't... And I'm happy that there wasn't a scene of Sarah being like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. Right, uh, right. I think she... And, it's not a principal thing for her. It's just sort of she's she just very unexperienced in the world. She doesn't have friends. Yeah, exactly. Granted... I don't have a lot of friends either, and I drink and smoke marijuana a lot. You have more than she does in this movie. True. Mm-hmm. Still, the night goes well with Sarah and Darren being very awkward and drunk together. There's there's a great bit where it's obvious that Darren wants to like go in for a kiss. He really wants to go in for a kiss. And Sarah she, just keeps and hugging him. She just him. keeps going in for hugs. It's so cute. This th- th- that is uh, like a, a a really good, I know we keep hammering on about it, but a really good aspect of the improvisational bit is that. The way this movie does it anyway, it really nails human interaction in a way that most movies can't. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, oh, the acting is so good. It's so good. Alison Brie is is like a powerhouse. She is so good she in is everything she's in. Fantastic. Do you, 
we can talk about it during the Oscar episode. Sure. But do you think she should have gotten a Best Actress nomination for this? Um, I have to think about it a little bit more, and I have a lot more movies to watch from True. 2020. But I would say, yes, I would definitely have nominated her for this. I think that she, this is one of the best performances I've seen from her. True. This mm-hmm. Oh, this is, and it's, as we're going to get into, a very personal story. There's a scene later on in particular that is like, chillingly unnervingly good yes mm-hmm. as the night wraps up uh sarah sicks up in the toilet yeah then after she then, had, yeah she had a little bit too much yeah she had a little bit too much yep. it happens to us all except yes. for you who don't who doesn't drink very much i don't drink very much when i do drink i go hard yeah <laughs> but i've never thrown up good yeah good for you yeah at mm. least from drinking <laughs> obviously, okay. obviously I've thrown up other times Obvious. Uh, yeah. well thank you for clarifying that yeah I didn't um, want to make it seem like I was some superhuman some above you all non-vomiting uh... <laughs> do you think God ever vomits <laughs> do you think God ever has like some bad oysters <laughs> well assuming that he's God I would assume that he could find the right oysters with his omnipotence could God make an oyster so rancid even he would get sick from it I would argue yes, because he could allow himself to experience those feelings. When he became Jesus, he's supposedly fully God and fully man at the same time, so he could have gotten sick at some point. My favorite bit of the, I think it's the Gospel of Mark, it's not in the other ones, okay. uh, where Jesus just goes ham on some oysters <laughs> that have been sitting out. He's at a wedding. It's the wedding where he turned water into wine. <laughs> And these oysters have just been sitting out in the desert sun. <laughs> and everyone's like, Jesus, don't do it. They're bad. And he's oh like, God. no, no, I turned the water into wine. I deserve my payment. <laughs> then that's the first time he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> and his belly's all distended. And he's he's green in the face. He's like, oh, Papa God, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> Papa God. You know I'm not a Christian. I know you're... Well, obviously. But there are some beautiful parts of the Bible. (laughs) And I think that's one of the biggest lessons it has to offer. (laughs) Don't eat too many oysters. Don't eat oysters that have been out in the sun in the desert. Right, right. As so many of us have the opportunity to in our daily lives. We are now a half an hour into this movie. Yes. And it has been very normal. Yes, very normal. Here's where it starts to get... The first weird wrinkle Mm -hmm. happens. Yes. There's a fantastic transition where we see Sarah horizontal across the screen. Yes. She's sitting vertically, but shown horizontally. Yes. The camera follows her as she goes to lay down on her bed. But as she is about to hit, there is a seamless transition to a pure white room. It is really fucking good. It's a great shot. It's a great and It's edit. a great effect. An edit. Yeah. Uh, an empty space with two other people in it, also lying down. A middle-aged man and a younger woman. I described it as the gun room from the Matrix. Yes. Yeah. It's very, has much of a Matrix vibe. Mm-hmm. In the morning, Nikki and Brian find big scratches on the wall. Yes. And Sarah passed out in a nest of pillows. Yes. And I believe there's there was something. The scratches on the wall, wonderful detail. Yes. Sarah's. Wonderful little horror element, too. Like it. Yes. In any other movie, like, I would expect to see those claws as an early indication of demon possession in a conjuring film. Yeah. But here it's, again, this is a very slow burn. Yes. It's a very slow burn movie. It really is. Darren comes by to pick up his car, Mm -hmm. which he left last night and asked Sarah out on a date. Mm -hmm. At work, Sarah gets another nosebleed. While this is happening, a homeless man outside is screaming 
and a man walks past who seems to be the man from Sarah's white space dream. Right. There was a there was a man on one side of her and a girl on the other side of her yes. in the dream, both lying down with her. And here's another neat little detail that I noticed on the second watch. Mm-hmm. Joan gets a call, and there's seemingly no one there because mm-hmm. she keeps going hello, hello. Mm. And this same thing happened in an opening in the opening scene. Oh, did it? It did. I missed that. The next scene, Sarah meets and walks with a disabled girl who asks if Sarah has a boyfriend. Sarah says yes. Mm-hmm. Another great little, un, a great detail to let us know that Sarah is not fully in touch with reality. Right, yeah. <clears throat> the girl mentions Willow, mm-hmm. the Sarah's horse. horse, and we get some shots of two different women on horses. One seems to have been thrown off. And now, here's one of the problems I have with the movie. Okay. On my first watch, and until I looked at Wikipedia, I had no fucking clue who this girl was, how she was germane to the plot. Did you have that problem? No, I picked it up immediately. Okay. Now, you actually checked Wikipedia. Let me tell you what I think happened. Okay. So maybe maybe I did have the problem and I don't realize it. So what I assumed happened from those little shots, I picked up that... They had been riding buddies at the horse ranch. Yes. And that uh, while they were riding one day when they, they, they were like not looking what's uh, what's going on, they were looking at each other, they were joking or whatever, and the girl fell off, resulting in the head trauma that caused her to have this disability now. Gotcha. Where like one half of her body doesn't work. Is that am you're, I close? Yeah, you're pretty much right. According to Wikipedia, the girl is a childhood friend of Sarah's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've noted I've seen this twice and don't know where they're getting that. But mm-hmm. again, apparently you got a lot more out of those scenes than I did. Yeah. My problem is that... It's this... not explicitly stated. No, it's not. No, it's just implied by a couple of uh, flashback flashes. And again, I don't know really what this adds to the movie. We see this girl one sure. other time. Yeah. It doesn't really seem germane to anything. It doesn't really add much to the main thrust of the story, I will admit. I think, but it is, she is important to her. Yes. In some way, because in a later scene in the movie, uh, during a, a dark moment, she we see her thinking of her. Yes. So I think that there's an element of, there There might perhaps be this element of, of looking around at people in your life who have gone, I want to be very careful with the words I use here, had issues. Gotcha. And being sort of having this sort of generalized, this general fear of, am I next? Gotcha. Am I the next one to go a little off? Now, when I first watched this, what I assumed was that this was like a high school age girl, because she looks very young. She does. And, and she acts very simple. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that this was just a girl that Sarah, like, volunteered to hang out with, because Sarah does nice, lonely things. Right. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> There's a brief sequence where Sarah is driving, mm-hmm. seems to space out, mm-hmm. and then finds herself at home. Yes. That night, she has trouble sleeping because of sounds from the other room, mm-hmm. which is odd because we find out her roommate was not there last night. Exactly. On top of all that, her car is gone. Yes. As she as she's calling the police, she gets a call from her former stepdad, mm-hmm. Gary, who Again, got a call from the tow yard about her car. We're not told... That he's your stepdad at this time. No. But we are told that the car is still in his name. Yes. And he gives her a birthday card 
With a whole bunch of hundreds in it. About $1,000, it seems. <laughs> and Gary is played by Paul Reiser. Very famous man from sitcoms like Mad About You and mm-hmm. My Two Dads. And I'm not a big Paul Reiser fan. Yeah. But he is fantastic in this. Exactly. No, again, like, everybody again, is much so like, good. Much like Molly Shannon, like even if you're not the biggest fan of them, they do such a good job. And he's so great at playing like... I care about, he cares about Sarah. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily want to be involved. Yeah, like, he he, he, he talks to her and is, and is like, there's so much you can pick up from little things. So yes. he says, how have you been? And she's like, well, I've been taking care of mom's grave. And he, like, immediately looks away from her. He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you immediately get, like, okay, he doesn't want to think about that shit. Yeah. <laughs> he does not want to think about that shit. He wants to move on with his life. And unfortunately... He cannot because that's the way human in, human existence works. I mean, he still seems to care about Sarah. He does uh, care about her, but he also doesn't. We find out that she's sh- attached to a very specific, tragic part of his life that he true. doesn't want to think about. They pick up the car in the lot, and we find out she left it when she when she phased out mentally. Yes, it wasn't her. It wasn't stolen. It wasn't stolen. She literally got out of the car, walked away, did. God knows what, and ended up at home. Yes. She disassociated. Then Sarah goes to the horse ranch, Mm -hmm. where we find out that Willow isn't her horse anymore. Yeah. She is just still so attached to this animal that she is bugging children who are riding the horse like that she has nothing to do with. And now all the other interactions we've seen are cast in a new light. And like I said, on my second watch, I'm like, how did I not pick up on this idea that... (laughs) I knew that they were being weird to her, but I didn't. Yeah. It should have been obvious that, like, yeah. yeah, it's not hers anymore. What's the name of the actor playing the, the main guy at the horse ranch again? Toby Huss. Toby Huss. So Toby Huss's character has some great lines in this in this bit where he's he he keeps talking to her and, and, and being, so like, she'll try and come up to the horse. He's walking the horse around mm-hmm. like, like you do, you know, let, letting the horse exercise. And she's trying to walk up. She's like, uh, can't really get let you get near the horse. You know, it's an yep. it's an insurance issue. Like again, it's not. Yeah, it's she not wants me. to ride Willow. She but wants to like, ride. It's like I can't can't let you do that. She asks where the lanyard that she made for him. It's like, went. oh, I'm sure it's it'll it'll, it'll turn, turn up. up. It'll turn up. Like he he does a great again, very naturalistic. He does a great job of of being that guy who's just like. Okay, it's fine. You're it's fine. here. I, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I'm yeah. gonna be polite. And anyone who's had to deal again with with people who are just like a little bit too insistent on getting into your business, yes. or people who just don't understand social boundaries very well, knows this conversation mm-hmm. and has been on that side of it. Also, uh, from what I know about horse people, yeah. I'm sure there are about fifty other women <laughs> who are just bugging him, being like. What about my horse? I need to be with my. <laughs> yeah, oh. this is every, this is every other day with this guy. Let's talk about horse names. <laughs> okay, I think Willow's pretty weak. I mean, it's a pretty classic horse name. You want something strong like uh, Freedom Stamper? <laughs> Not that the horse is stamping out freedom, but with every right. stamp of the hooves, with every stamp of the hooves, it is freedom. Yeah, because you can't be freer. Than when you're riding a horse. When you're riding a horse, you listen, I'm told. You, you listen to them hooves and you hear, Proud to be an American! Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just That's what horses' hooves sound like in every country. <laughs> right, of course, yeah. And exactly. for millennia before America even existed, 
That's what we named America after. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, we should do something with these words horse hooves are saying. <laughs> the Chinese were too busy inventing spaghetti to do anything with that. <laughs> now, here's a question. Did the Chinese also invent meatballs, or is that Italian? That is Italian. Okay, the meatballs are Italian. Spaghetti is Chinese. Marco Polo made the first meatballs out of his crew. <laughs> They were stuck at sea for a long time. Because he was curious about eat, what eating yeah. people would be like. Yeah, of course. I'm learning so much today. Sarah's going through pictures when she finds one of her grandmother, mm-hmm. who was supposed to be very mentally unstable, mm-hmm. talking to walls and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grandma looks exactly like Sarah because it is a picture of Alison Bree. Exactly, yeah. At night, Sarah once again hears voices from the next room. She sleeps and dreams of a glowing ramp made of light in the ocean. Yes. Great image. Fantastic image. Then she's back in the white room looking at the man. When she wakes up, she's at a payphone with her shirt on backwards and barefoot. Yeah, she's, she's holding the phone in her hand off the off the hook as just going, whoop, doing that uh, dial tone. She's yeah. just standing there. And it's, it's so spooky. And this is something that I've heard if you're a sleepwalker or if you disassociate this is a very common uh, event for you. Sleepwalkers always seek out obsolete technology. <laughs> you're always going to no, find the... you're always going to find a sleepwalker at a payphone, at a fax machine, <laughs> at a Betamax cassette player. No, the 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 horror of of finding yourself somewhere and not knowing where you are. This yeah. is also something very for for people who have uh, disassociative identity disorder. Yes, they will off if if one of your other selves takes a walk and you just end up somewhere and you're like, why, why am I at SeaWorld? I was in Boston yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Boston to SeaWorld. They, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a train route they have now. It's just direct Boston from, to SeaWorld. Direct from UMass Boston to SeaWorld. <laughs> on a maglev train. I've done the Freedom Tour. Now I need to see some imprisoned animals <laughs> to see some horribly abused orca <laughs> when she gets back home mm-hmm. she sees that only two minutes have gone by also i just want to point out the score to this movie should definitely have been nominated for an oscar yes it's very nice the scores their scores for a lot of other movies have been nominated and i've i've seen them and they weren't that great but the score for this movie is fucking Awesome. It's a nice sort of minimalist, uh, yes. sort of a David Fincher, Trent Reznor, like yeah, yeah, like very, very so. tonal. And whenever there's something creepy going on, there's like this like plinky plunky sort of uh, track that just gets under your skin, and it's, it's never overbearing. No, no, it's not. It's 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 very good. She looks up missing on missing time on the internet to find results about one carbon carbon monoxide poisoning, right, and two alien abduction, right, yeah. Missing time, alien abduction, it's a thing. And I want to point out that this is an odd execution of the idea of missing time. Okay. Usually it's not that something happens really quickly. Mm -hmm. It's that you are like, I'm in the kitchen and it's 10 p.m. Holy shit, now it's four in the morning. And I'm still in the, yeah, like in in the X-Files pilot when they do missing time. Yes. It's one of the first gags that they do. They're in their car they have a shared dream sequence, and then they are in their car again, but it's like four hours later. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, at work, Sarah tells Joan about her dreams and her experiences. Mm-hmm. Sarah makes it clear that she's considered carbon monoxide poisoning. Right. But she's le- leaning towards alien abduction. Yes. And she, Sarah sort of like, do you believe in that sort of thing? 
Yeah. And Joan goes, no, <laughs> not really. But again, not un- insensitively. Like, yeah. It's just like, it, no, it's, I, I don't, not really, it's honey. It's so good. Not and really, it's honey. so well executed. It's so well done. Uh, Joan asks if this is similar to what her mother went through mm-hmm. and rightly suggests that she talk to somebody. Right. Yes. As they're talking, mm-hmm. Sarah again sees the man from her dream. Again in the presence of the screaming homeless man. Mm-hmm. She sees that the man is driving a van that says Santiguez Plumbing. Yes, it's a Santiguez. Santiguez. Now, here's a detail I noticed on my second watch. Mm-hmm. The homeless man is yelling about Seneca Satellite. Oh my God, that's where she got it from. Either that or she read it on the internet and it's just a synchronicity, but yes, yes right. the seeds have been planted. Right. Later that on is going to come up. Yeah, she, later on she starts talking about the Seneca satellite and I had no idea where that came from. She tracks down the man at Santaquez Plumbing. Plumbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she asks if he, if he remembers her. Yes. She gives her all the Gary Bucks. I wrote down here, he works at the toilet store. That's a way to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, another improvised movie. But yes, uh, she gives him all the Gary Bucks. What's another improvised movie? Is there a movie called Toilet Store? Anchorman. But all her Gary Bucks are gone. Yes. Now, what would you have spent that $1,000 from your Gary on? Uh, knowing me, Criterion Collection releases. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Well, and or like uh, old TV shows that I remember liking, but then when I get them yeah. and watch them, I won't. I would have invested that $1,000 into Gary. <laughs> So he generates me more money over a long term. Oh, I, I thought you you were going to say it, it, it generates you more Gary in the long term. Well, I mean, technically it does, because yes. I'm, I'm funding Gary to be more Gary. Right. And the more Gary there is, the more Gary bucks that are coming back to me. Uh, yeah, exactly. And this is probably Sarah's main mistake of the movie. <laughs> Everyone not in- investing in the amorphous, the amorphous concept of a human. Everybody invest in your Gary today. Find your Gary. <laughs> buy my book, twenty nine ninety nine. How to find your Gary. <laughs> it's going to change your life. How to change your life. She asks if uh, she gives him all her Gary bucks to come to her place to check her pipes. Yes. She gives a fake name to the guy, which happens to be the main character of Purgatory, not Darren Colt, the, the but lady. Agatha Kane. Back home. Sarah sees her DNA DNA kit has not been processed. Mm-hmm. She's also watching an episode of Purgatory about doppelgangers, and this yes. is the best Purgatory bit. This is so good because uh, Hades shows up, Hades. and he says, "There's three seconds until the prophecy is fulfilled." One, One Mississippi, Mississippi. <laughs> two Mississippi. It's so good. Three Mississippi. Oh. Do what your heart tells you, and then she shoots, and it blacks out, and it's the best again. Make this show. I will go broke watching it. <laughs> but this this episode about clones or doppelgangers puts the idea in her head. Clones. Oh, clones! Right, clones. I must be a clone because I look just like my grandmother. Right. There was an earlier draft of this where she was reading the Spider-Man Clone Saga, and yes. that gave her the idea. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but oh, in man. order to figure out whether or not she is a clone of her grandmother, she goes up to a mirror. She styles her hair like her grandmother. And she tries to make the expression. Sty- tries to make the same expression as in the picture, which makes us this uh, very genuine, charming smile in the picture. And still a genuine, charming smile, because Alison Brie is a very attractive lady. Yes. But 
the with the way she's forcing it, it takes on this sort of rictus appearance. Yes. And I was forcibly reminded of the fan scene from Fire Walk With Me with Laura Palmer. Mm. Where she, or maybe that's in The Missing Pieces. I don't remember which. But she's looking up at the fan and she's just sort of like smiling and smiling and <laughs> smiling. And it just, it's, it. I'm, I'm not sure what it's about, her being possessed or something, but like it's... It, it forcibly reminded me of that, and it unnerved the fuck out of me. Yes, it's a very yeah. specific and hard-to-describe emotion that this yeah. smile gives, but she nails it perfectly. So what a good time for a date. Yeah. <laughs> well, before that, <laughs> okay. Uh, the next morning, she's reading more conspiracy stuff. Yes. When the guy shows up to check her pipes. That's right. Not Ron. Oh, no. Not Ron, the man from her dreams. Yes. But Tom. Ugh, Tom. Oh, Tom. <sighs> Tom. How many times have you been at home waiting for Ron and Tom shows up? <laughs> Ladies, real talk. <laughs> the oh, man sets Tom. about replacing the pipes when yes. her roommate comes in, mm-hmm. comes by to tell her that she's insane. She's having the pipes replaced on a place that they rent. Right. And Sarah and has still not taken care of the scratches in the wall. Which they which needed to take care of. She's been asking her repeatedly to take care of over the course of the film ever since they showed up. Yes. And now, here's where Sarah starts to show some smarts, mm-hmm. some stability. Sure. She follows Ron home. <laughs> you know, like a normal person. Yeah. yeah. Like you do when you have like dreams about do. people. And spies on him having yes. dinner. Having dinner with his family, his wife and kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever peeped in windows? <laughs> not intentionally. I mean, okay. Yeah. Not intentionally. <laughs> How many times have you accidentally peeped in windows for long periods of time? Oh, for long periods of time, never. Okay, never. sure. No. Again, I feel like you're not telling the truth. <laughs> well, I feel like saying, I feel you... like as a youth on the compound, <laughs> you would throw like a Persian rug over the barbed wire well, and scramble say... up and climb over. And see how the other half lived. Well, let's see. Let's say that, uh, for the sake of argument, I was lying, and I actually was very curious about the taste of human flesh, and I had been spying on a particular person for a long period of time, looking for ways to memorize his routine, perhaps uh, get him into a position where I could drug him, cook him, and eat him. I wouldn't necessarily want to admit that on a podcast, would I? I mean, I feel like this is a safe space. <laughs> it's only the two of us here. Yeah. Okay. No one listens to this. <laughs> this we, is a wonderful place to admit your crimes. We hit 300 listens. We did. We're up to 312. <laughs> 312 listens. And I get at least a tweet likes at least once a week. Awesome. <laughs> That night, she once again goes to the white room. This Mm -hmm. time, she notices the other woman is awake. Mm -hmm. And we see a sinister, shadowy black hand in front of Sarah. Yes. Very creepy. When she wakes up, she's still in the car, but the sunroof is open, and there's scratches on the interior roof. Mm. Great shit. I did not notice those scratches the first time I watched it. Really? So I was like... Those scratches in the wall, what the fuck is the point? They don't come back. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I was a bad movie watcher. (laughs) Now Sarah's starting to get a little messy. Yeah, a little messy. She goes home and smudges the apartment. Yep. She sews a dress that belongs to her grandmother, and she notices bruises all over her body. Yes. I feel like it's 
a, a very common thing to just find mysterious bruises on your body. Oh, I do all the time. I feel like most people do. And I don't have as much lost time as she does. Uh, yeah. I have some lost time because I'm ADHD, but not quite as much. That's just time where you're not paying attention. Not paying attention. Yeah, exactly. The next day, she goes to visit Dr. David Pamer. <laughs> uh, David Pamer has been in a hundred different things. Yes. Very recognizable face, very yes. recognizable voice. I recognized him immediately, had no idea where I'd seen him before, but I, I, I know I've seen him a bunch of places. Yes. He's usually playing an asshole. Yes. So it was actually kind of weird to see him playing a generally kind of nice guy. Just being a general doctor, like trying to be helpful. Sure. He's not the best at bedside manner. Like she starts talking to him about... She it. tells him about her dreams yeah. and her, her bruises. She also asks if there's a test to see if she... A test to see if she's a clone. Yeah, and that's when he starts being like, "Oh, maybe you want to see a psychiatrist or something." And I'm like, "Dude, uh, <laughs> you could have you could have led into that a little bit better." Uh, he mentions that he's just an ear, nose, and throat doctor, right? Because she's, she's gone to see him about her nosebleeds, about her nosebleed, and apparently he cauterized her nose, so she's not going to have nosebleeds anymore. Yep. And good on Doctor Dave. Mm-hmm. He gives a legitimate answer about how well you would have to compare two sets of DNA, and if right. they were identical, he gives her a legitimate answer. Which is good of him, yeah. And she, Sarah starts a mild ramble about being clone of her grandmother, and that's yes. when he says, you should talk to somebody. Yeah. Uh, which is the right response. It is the right answer. I just think he probably could have phrased it in a way that wouldn't immediately make her shut down as saying that to her in this instance How does. would you phrase it? How would you trick a cuckoo bird into getting some help? <laughs> What I, snare would you lay? <laughs> I think I would make more of like the way that he responds to it. He he shuts her down. She's 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 going on a sort of a ramble, and he's like, "Okay, okay, uh, I'm just a, a head and throat specialist. This isn't my line. You should talk to, but you should talk to a therapist." Uh, I would instead like just be like, "What makes you feel this way? What makes you think that?" And like sort of try and open a dialogue. Again, he's an ear, nose, and throat doctor. This is yeah. not his area. He is correctly going like. I'm out of my depth here. Right. No, I understand that. But at the same time, as a doctor who people trust, who people go to, it's your, it is a good idea to make people feel heard and not feel like they're crazy. True. So like if you're a doctor and some parent comes to you and says, I don't know, you're a pediatrician, you're not a psychiatrist and you're not uh, a research specialist. Uh, she says, I did this XYZ research that says that uh, my kid could get autism from uh, an, in, an injection. Is the correct response, well, I haven't, I don't know about the research that you've done, but I can tell you that this, 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 or like, I, why do you feel that way? Like opening a dialogue or is the correct response, fuck you, you're an idiot. Dr. David Pamer does not do that. <laughs> but like, you can see why she feels so attacked. I guess. By his response. Like, I mean, he, she feels very shut down. That's also the reaction of, let's call it schizophrenia. Sure. Uh, because that is what that's Alison Bree's grandmother yeah. had. And yeah. that is the basis. This is a that's, movie that Alison yeah. Brie conceived to sort of... It's sort of a mm, dramatization of a fear that she's had ever since she was a child. Yes. Because her grandmother had paranoid schizophrenia. And she has always been afraid, what if it's genetic? What if I get it too? 
Yes. Uh, and so this is sort of a dramatization of that fear. And it's very much, again, rooted in her grandmother to yes. the point where that in an interview, Alison Brie was talking about her mother refers it refers to Horse Girl as that movie you made about my mom. Wow. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And Alison Brie was sort of like, it's a very different movie. It's not strictly about grandmother. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, but yeah, so that's, that's the basis. And that's when I saw Hereditary. Right. What I really loved about Hereditary, everyone's like, it's about grief. Yeah. It's about yeah. grief. I'm sure the filmmaker even said it's about grief. I think he did. When I watched it, I was like, this is about mental illness and how it is hereditary i mean the fucking fact that the movie is called hereditary yes <laughs> it tells you something yes yeah and that's an aspect that i loved of hereditary Agreed. and this is the same thing on display here yeah that fear of hereditary mental illness yes and it manifesting and schizophrenia yeah. usually manifests in your 30s does it really? It's usually a late in life, not a late in life thing, but sort of a middle of middle life of thing. Life thing yeah. it, it can it can manifest earlier, but usually it's something that comes on later. Yeah, I recommend if anyone wants to know more about schizophrenia and like the people who uh, encounter it day by day, there is a Fight Club. <laughs> no, there is a video. Uh, Me, online. myself, and Irene. Oh my God, no! <laughs> There's a video online uh, of, called. Uh, I spent the day with uh, schizof with schizophrenia patients or something like that. It's part of Anthony Padilla's series where he interviews people with various uh, parts of various subcultures and, and, and groups. And he gets a very honest, very sort of clear interview out of these people talking about what it's like if you're someone who thinks that they might have it, if yeah. there's someone who... Uh, has a family member who might have it and wants to get more of an idea of what it's like. They talk about, uh, at one point, they talk about taking pictures of people with their phone whenever they talk to them to make sure they're talking to a real person. Okay. Like, it's just sort of things that they have to do because they don't know what's yeah. real or what's not. They can't know. There's a movie that I really want to see uh, mm -hmm. called Clean Shaven, which mm -hmm. is, from what I understand, sort of a film depiction of what it's like to experience schizophrenia. Jesus. I hear it's a very rough movie to watch. I can imagine. Um, it's but, a very rough thing to deal with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, in case anyone's wondering, because this, it took me a while to figure this out, throughout the 90s and before that, in during my childhood, schizophrenia was what you referred to people with disassociative identity disorder. Or multiple personality or disorder. Or multiple personality disorder. That's not what schizophrenia is. In case anyone was confused, schizophrenia is just is seeing things or hearing things that aren't there. Yes. Your mind is filling in, in for basically you're dreaming while awake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah goes on her date with Darren. Mm -hmm. She complains about the doctor and his dismissal of the paranormal. Right. Darren is into it yeah. and talks about uh, aliens and Bigfoot the, and Loch Ness Monster. And the pyramids and pyramids. all that stuff. And, and he, sorry, go ahead. Here's where Sarah goes fully off the deep end. This is the scene I was talking about. She's talking about human thermometers and clones and Seneca satellite, as we mentioned earlier. Right. And how the aliens need the clones to send information back to Seneca satellite. And, and we the learn... camera gets right up in Allison Bree's face as she just is like unloading this. Yes. And the desperation and the 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 hope in finding someone who's not treating her like a like a jerk. Mm -hmm. Uh it's just so 
palpable and upsetting. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's it's a great performance. And Darren fucking rolls with it. Just rolls with it. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. And the date goes real well. It goes real well. And she says she wants to show Darren something. Yeah. <laughs> now, Darren is <laughs> probably thinking something else. We're probably thinking something a little bit more biological. But it turns out to be Ron's house. <laughs> The man from her dreams. <laughs> Ever had a date that goes so well you take them to see your stalking victim? <laughs> or just Ron's house in general. Just, just, just like, Ron's oh, house man, in general. man, this date's going really good. We should go to Ron's we house. We should go to Ron's house. You know, not Tom's house. That's if No. Date, if the date had gone God. bad. Yeah, you're like, we well, got, let's, so I, guess, I guess we'll go to Tom's house. Maybe I, I can guess. ditch this dud at Tom's house. <laughs> Talking about pipes all day. <laughs> Copper pipes. Uh, Tom. She tells Darren about her dreams and doubles down on the clone stuff. Mm-hmm. And here's where Darren's starting to get shook. Starting to get a little bit upset, yeah. He wants to take her home. He's like, yeah. this is this is a bit much now. Yeah, yeah. But she wants to show him one more thing. Mm-hmm. It's a graveyard. Woo! Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> but if I were on a date, yeah. and they're like, let's go to the graveyard, mm-hmm. I'd be pretty into it. Right, yeah. I'd be like... This is weird. <laughs> this is great. Where is this going to go? Depends on how well I knew the person before our date. I it doesn't think. matter. Best case scenario, I get murdered. <laughs> That's a best case scenario. A lot of problems solved right there. <laughs> All right. So, now, initially, initially, I thought Sarah wanted to introduce Darren to I her gave, mom's grave. I told them my placenta line, and it was right to the graveyard. <laughs> I'm going to give them this placenta line. Then it's either to Ron, Tom's, or the graveyard. It's a new version of Fuck, Mary Kill. <laughs> so Ron, Tom, or graveyard. Now, I initially thought that Sarah was going to, like, introduce Darren to uh, mommy corpse. Right. I Be mean, like... That's the I'm, thing that's happened in a lot of very cliche movies. Yes. That happens in the in the Smallville pilot. Lana Lang introduces Clark Kent to her dead parents. Oh, man. Are, are they happy to meet him? Yes, very happy. Yeah. Uh, they they make a, a quick gay joke at his expense because <laughs> early 2001 uh, CW drama. Gotcha. Yeah. Could you imagine a 2001 A Space Odyssey CW drama? <laughs> uh, well, now I am. <laughs> It's kind of hard because there's only like, you can make an argument for three characters in that movie. <laughs> no, because it, it would be structured like Arrow. So most of the show, there would be a lot more characters on the ship, one. Okay. There'd be a lot, so most of the show would be about them on the ship, and then there would be constant flashbacks to them on Earth discovering stuff about the, the monolith. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, instead, Sarah wants to dig up her mother with a pair of scissors <laughs> and drive the body to DNA and you, the DNA testing company. Yeah. So they can compare the dot bodies to see if she's a clone. And this company's only two states away. Right. Don't yeah, worry, just Darren. two states away. We can get there by morning, she says. And now here's where it fully hits Darren <laughs> that maybe this isn't the best scenario to... But again... He is not villainized. No. He's not treated like a bad person. He's just sort of like, Sarah, 
And he think about this. He's for a still second. the good guy. He's he's very concerned. He doesn't want to leave her here. He tries yeah. to get her back he, into the car. Even when she starts getting mad at him and telling him to leave, he's like, "I'm not going to leave you in the middle of a cemetery at night." Like, he's a decent guy. He's yes. just trying to be. He's just trying to get through his and life. And again, after promising young woman, I was glad that there was like, yeah, he's decent. He's a decent dude. He's not going to like hit her with a shovel or whatever the hell. But Sarah <laughs> flips shit and starts screaming. Yep. Now, this is one of the problems I have with this movie. Okay. We have a very slow first half hour yes. where Sarah's character is established. Yes. The next half hour is spent showing her degradation. Yes. But this... This, specifically this part, Mm -hmm. this extreme delusion stuff, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a missing step. I feel like we, I feel like she makes a big jump. Granted. Okay. uh, Granted, stalking somebody is pretty bad. Yeah. But now she's just fully rambling about Seneca Satellite, which is something that has not been established in the film unless you were paying very close attention. Right, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. It, it just... There could have been some extra bits put in there. Maybe, like, have it like a, a little bit more focus on what the homeless guy is saying. Yeah, or and just... And have her be take more notice of it so we can tell that that's what she picked up from him. Or just a couple... Yeah, just a couple extra steps. I, I feel like we haven't seen enough to be in this place. It makes... To the point where she's like, we need to dig up my dead mom and drive her two states away, and this is a right. date. Right. To me... It did make sense. Oh, it made sense. Because if you think about it, if, if you think about the way that she has ramped up her relationship with Darren, uh, like, the minute he asked her out, she started calling him True. her boyfriend. So I think the implication is supposed to be, in her to her mind, her relationship with Darren has lasted longer than it actually has. You're right, and yeah. he is the first person to respond to her delusions positively, yes. so she feels safe. And her his name is he. Do, she does actually, literally, as we find out later, associate him with the Darren in the show. Yes, which has been on her mind for since her mom died. Right, she got over her mom's death by, by watching Purgatory, burying herself in Purgatory. You're right. Yeah. I 100% agree with you that it all makes sense. It all should add up. But for me, even mm-hmm. watching it a second time was like this. I needed a little bit more. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, back at home, Sarah's smudging again. Mm-hmm. Her roommate and Brian come she, in. She's smudging. She's playing loud music and she's running a blender. Yes. I don't uh, know where the blender came from. It's just a weird uh, schizophrenia thing where yeah. it's she it's, needs it's she like needs a, the blender to be. It on. needs to be running. It's a talisman against whatever evil is assaulting her. Right. Uh, she's rambling, not making sense, freaking out. There's a great bit where mm-hmm. uh, Debbie Ryan unplugs the bl- blender, hands it to Brian, and Sarah's like, "You got to turn it on. You got to turn it on." He's like, "It's not plugged in. It's not plugged in." Uh, there's a great bit as well, again, where we see the difference between. Uh, Debbie Ryan's approach to Sarah and her boyfriend's approach yes. to Sarah, where um, she she's trying to be understanding. She's trying she, to be understanding. Debbie Ryan says, "Hey, so we just heard back from Darren about your date." Yeah, and like trying to like enter into it very simply. Uh, I think I think Sarah like cuts her off and says he was an asshole or something, and uh, Brian 
jumps to Darren's defense. You took him to a fucking graveyard. Yeah. Like, you can tell that like he is much less willing to put up with Sarah's nonsense. Uh, what he sees as nonsense. Another great aspect of the Nikki Sarah dynamic mm-hmm. is it's clear that these two are not friends. No, they haven't known each other for very long. Nikki just feels bad for this person she cohabitates with. She just has a general human empathy. Yeah, she just yeah. she she's like we live together. We should we should be friends. All I I see you on your couch watching uh Purgatory every fucking night. Yeah. Do you can you I just want you to be okay. She could just as easily be like you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. Don't invade my space. Right. You can do whatever you want in your room. Uh go fucking bonkers, but she's she's generally trying to help. Sure. And like most normal people, she's not equipped to handle it. No. She's uh, not, not a fault it. of the character at all, but not just like, I don't know what to do. So uh, Sarah locks herself in the bathroom and takes a shower. Yes. Her shower is intercut with shots of her car seemingly driving by itself. Yes. It goes and parks at the craft store. Yes. Terrifically unnerving shots. I didn't know how much it unnerved me, this idea of a car just driving by itself, mm-hmm. while we know the driver is definitely not present. Yes. Sarah gets out of the shower, slides back the door, and steps fully naked into the craft store. From from the back. Yes. Yeah. Upon realizing what's going on, Sarah begins to shout for Joan. And she rambles more, saying people are coming for her. She she pulls the peach fabric that's supposed to be protective around her. Yes. Great, unnerving stuff. Like, Wonderful scene. And I, I want to give this scene extra props because it is so hard for um, male directors, it seems, to shoot a naked woman without sexualizing it. Yes. And this is... This uh, is full frontal nudity. This is full frontal nudity, and she's just... It doesn't feel sexy at all. It no, just, absolutely it just feels, not. It just feels open and uh, invasive and horrible. Yes. And, you know, uh, unprotected. It just it, it feels the way it's supposed to feel, as opposed to being titillating, which a lot of female direct a lot of male directors would have fallen into that hole. Then we get an amazing sequence. Yes. Uh, her and Joan are in the office, and mm-hmm. we get an amazing sequence. Another coworker has come to the window. And is like asking the clock out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah picks up a ringing phone and begins to hear what Joan is saying before she says it. Yes. This prompts Sarah to tell Joan that she can hear the future. Mm. Great. Anything to do with landlines yeah. freaks me the fuck out. I understand. It's it's an old anxiety because I'm old and <laughs> lived with landlines. Before you could see who was calling, it was just like, yeah, I got it talk to this fucking stranger oh yeah no i i to this day i have so much social anxiety i have to pump myself up before i get on the phone oh absolutely absolutely no but yeah and it's uh, this is something i i really love about this movie is uh, apparently it didn't it wasn't quite the same for you because you you mentioned that you the jump to full crazy town here's the thing a little bit different for you i the jump was difficult I, uh-huh. I thought there could be more steps, but once that jump was made, I was fully on board. Right. Okay. So, but what I love about this is that at all times, her mental illness is the story of her mental illness is told from her perspective. Yes. If this were any other movie, if this was a uh, late nineties, uh, what's the name of the lady who plays uh, Clarice Starling? 
Jodie Foster. Jodie, if this was a late '90s Jodie Foster movie, for example, yeah, uh, this movie would have a third act twist that everything she saw was real, and it's this whole big conspiracy with the government and all this shit. But this is this is all told from her perspective, and we all we take it as seriously as she does, to the point where like she even admits that like the things that she says are crazy, and. I had figured out at a certain point this was not going to be a conspiracy movie or an alien abduction no. movie. This was going to be a movie about mental illness. But you can almost kind of go along with her in the way that she interacts with the world. And she even says at one point, my grandmother thought she was, was from, from the, the future, future and she would talk to Walls. But she can't have been crazy because the same things are happening to me now. Yes. Which is... Exactly the kind of logic that a protagonist in a movie has, mm -hmm. and the kind of logic that a lot of people with schizophrenia have. By the way, I am using schizophrenia in the terms uh, crazy interchangeably, and I, I do need to watch myself. We say about crazy that. for comedic effect. For comedic effect. Uh, it's 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 a mental disorder. It's a very serious mental disorder, and uh, you're not crazy or stupid if you have it. No. But uh, it's just... So I just love that the movie... It's not about her friends and family dealing with her. No. It's about her adjusting to this new paradigm in her life. Two things. Yeah. Uh, one, the perspective shifts twice in the movie. Okay. The first in the beginning when Molly Shannon sees the hindquarter of the horse going by. That's, that's true. The only, okay. And that's going to come back later. Yes. Uh, the other thing is, I feel like there's much more of an element of... Is she delusional? Is it real? Mm -hmm. Then you're giving. Then you are putting on the movie. No, I think that there's def. You could definitely take that. Uh, you can definitely make that interpretation. Is it real? Is it not? Yeah. Like Martin and stuff. But when I was watching it, I got to a certain point and I was like, I'm pretty sure this isn't going to be aliens. Yeah, I would say there's stronger evidence for it's not real than it is. But at the same t but yeah, you could definitely take it that way, but what I'm saying is it's always with the exception of the Molly Shannon scenes, it's always from her perspective. Yes. And therefore it's just as real to us, the audience, as it is to her. Absolutely. I it's a movie I have not seen but I really want to starring Ryan Reynolds called Voices. I would like to see that as well. I would love to see that movie, uh, which is another one where he's a he's a delusional character, and we see everything from his perspective. Gotcha. So when he starts taking his meds and stops seeing things the way he wants to see them, we start seeing, oh no, we get a brief flash, his life is very bad. Yes. And then he takes goes off the meds, and suddenly everything's fine again. Yeah. Sarah's committed to a mental health facility. Yes. Uh, she meets her social worker, Ethan, another very nice person. Who tells her that they have talked before. Yes. A weeks ago. Weeks ago. Uh, he has been her social worker before. They talked last time. Sarah tells him that she's extremely anxious. She says more clone stuff. Were you disappointed that there wasn't a clone wars in this movie? <laughs> Just a whole bunch of Allison Breeze fighting. Oh, I'd love that. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. It sounds like a great movie. It sounds like that should have been uh, Star Wars Episode 2. <laughs> Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Breeze. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love movies about cheese. I wrote down, uh, the social worker seems like a good egg. He's he's trying to help her, and he's definitely much more like accepting and letting her sort of talk and, and deal with things like I'm going to be upfront with you. I don't believe in clones or aliens. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of clones and aliens, but 
we have I, I I feel like you're being very honest with me. Yes. And that's going to go a long way. Exactly. This uh her social worker Ethan <laughs> is played by I believe J- his name is Jay Duplass. He's one of the du- he's the other Duplass brother who's not Mark. Okay. <laughs> and the Duplass Brothers production company co-produced this. Oh nice. I'm not a fan of Duplass Brothers movies. I've not seen a lot. Really? Uh yeah. What do they make? Jeff who lives at home. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard uh, mixed reports about the quality of their films. They do a lot of mumblecore movies. Right, uh, right, 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 right. Okay. Not really my thing. Gotcha. But uh, oh, uh, another another problem I had with this movie is the improv dialogue leads to a lot of repetition. Yes, because. Um, Possibly filmed out of order, most likely filmed out of order. It was filmed out of order. They have to keep hitting points, so we're establishing the idea. So we get right. a lot of this clone talk, and it's just the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Not a make-or-break thing, like, a, but mm-hmm. it was just like, okay, it's clone stuff. Yeah. Sure. It didn't really bother me too much, but I, I, I can definitely see how that would get tiring. It, it only, I, it's only something that sort of pecked at me a little bit on the second watch. Okay. Uh, Sarah talks about her grandma and her mom who killed herself last year. Yes. We also pressed. Yes. We also find out that uh, Sarah doesn't know who her father is. Another thing that would lend to the clone thing. Right. She thought Gary was her father. Right. And then she found out she he wasn't. And then she, yeah. there's almost an implication that she thinks that uh, Ron might be her father. Do you think? I, I got that implication that she thought that maybe Ron. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm misremembering. No, she thinks that Ron is also a clone because he was on the white yeah. table with her in the dream world. That night, we're shown Sarah escaping from the facility very easy. Mm-hmm. And here's where the movie becomes amazing. Yes. This is where we go full dream sequence. Yes. And it's great. And another very unnerving shot. As Sarah is walking out, we see her watching herself from the window of her room. Yes. Doppelganger shit freaks me out. I don't blame you. I don't know why, but it's something that always bothers me. One of the scariest episodes of classic Twilight Zone that I've ever seen is the episode, maybe you've seen this one, where the girl's waiting at the train station and she keeps, she goes up to the front desk to ask when the train is and it's like, you asked me five times. And he said, no, this is the first time I've asked you. And like stuff like that keeps happening to her and eventually she sees the bus uh, go off and she's on the bus. I'm sure I've seen it, yeah. but probably forgotten it. Yeah. Fantastic episode. Scares the shit out of me every time. Sarah goes home to find her roommate is a completely different person. Yes. Despite In fact, it's the girl from her dream. Yeah. Yep. Is it? It is. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah, you can tell from the eyebrows. But I have I have trouble differentiating people. That's okay. Uh, despite having the same clothes and I think the same voice. Is that so Debbie uh, Ryan doing the voice? I couldn't tell. I was unsure. Yeah. Scared, Sarah retreats into her room. And all of her fabric is gone. All of her, peach- all of her prote- protective fabric. Yeah, all of her peachy fabric. Do you have any protective fabric? Uh, yes, I have a sheet of fabric uh, with all silhouettes of all the doctors through Peter Capaldi on it. Mm. And I wrap myself up in it whenever the wind hits my arm wrong. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, the most basic nerdery can protect you. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he see in in the rules of 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 symbolic magic, whatever I give power over me, uh, I I allow to protect me and become my god. So I've allowed Doctor Who to become my god, and therefore I I cover myself in his in his flesh. What a wonderful journey for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, 
Sarah retreats into her room. Uh, the door has a bright light glowing from behind it, and the bed is drawn towards it. Yeah, this scene, this part looked straight out of like Poltergeist or Close Encounters with a Third Kind. Like, fantastic sequence. She escapes out her window, mm-hmm. which now looks out onto the back entrance of the craft store. Yes. Love playing with spaces, love oh playing God. with uh, just this. We start to go folding. She breaks into the craft store. Well, she just opens up the door. The right. alarms are going going off. We don't see inside the store, which I love. We just watch from outside, and then we see Allison Bree pulling the protective peach fabric behind her and walking, trailing it behind her through, all throughout the city. Wonderful use of this fractured space where she doesn't just walk across the street back through her window. No, she is walking around the corner, pulling it behind her. Fantastic yeah. imagery. And again, going back to Lynch, much like uh, Eraserhead, this sequence literally felt like dreams that I've had. Like where yes. space is all fucked up. You go through a room in, in your school and end up in a, in a room from your library. Then mm-hmm. you end up at home. 100%. Yeah. She takes the fabric home and makes a full bodysuit complete with almost like a hijab. Yeah, she makes like a, a full peach, peachy ninja outfit. Yes. Which was... Amazing, it, and I love it. It's such a fantastic image. It's yes. so. It's not something that. Well, any sort of full body covering is sort of unnerving and unnatural. Sure, yeah. But this looks especially because it's, a, the peach is. It's a nice color. It's yeah. very. It's very warm. It has this sort of. Um, yeah. Texture to it. It seems like a, or some sort. I of can see why. Frippery. I can see why someone might believe that it has a good, a positive energy. Yeah, it. it's a very pleasant color. It just looks so odd when she's covered in yeah. She, looks, she also she looks makes like a one, Power Ranger. She also makes one for her horse. Yes, because she does. she's now at the at the stable. She's now um, at the stable. She wraps up the horse in it. If you had a horse, uh, what article of clothing clothing would you make for it? Uh, I would also make it a ninja outfit. Definitely, mm-hmm. I would make myself a ninja outfit and then the horse a ninja outfit. But the ninja outfit would be made out of the Doctor Who cloth. Yeah, so we could both be protected by his power. For me tasteful thong unfortunately while she's at the stable Mm -hmm. she is confronted by a very bestial bestial very upsetting toby huss yes who scream at at first it it almost seems like he's going to sexually assault her almost there's this sort of this sort of definitely some violence in his in his manner absolutely and he screams at her to get out literally treating her like a fucking horse going yeah 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 no he literally does shooing her away Speaking of, by the way, I I forgot to mention this. When I was Googling this movie, trying to find behind-the-scenes information or, or like, information about why it was made or how it was made, I had trouble because there are a lot of, apparently, women who train to run like horses on YouTube. Okay. Uh, So I found a lot of videos of of women running like horses. That's, That's, if you Google horse girl... You will find it too. Yes, uh, there's also a fetish subset. Yes, that's um, that true. That's true as well. Also, we forgot to mention during the the scene where they were all getting drunk when Darren was over. Oh yeah, there's a she, dance she, sequence. There's a dance sequence, and she starts doing like a little horsey dance. Yeah, and Brian comments that it's like a centaur. <laughs> it's, it's like a belly dancing centaur. He says we get. This fucking beautiful shot of Sarah walking down a long hallway mm. through multiple like. Uh, Empty doorways without doors. Oh my god! And just in this this peach bodysuit, it looks so. It, it's this isn't a movie that has a lot of great cinematography, 
But mm-hmm. during this sequence, it is fucking on point. And oh maybe God. that's by designs. Like, let's make yeah. it more boring for the more realistic parts. And then once she goes fully into the delusion, let's... And we see the full creatures that we had previously only seen the claws Not of. yet. Okay. Uh, she opens a door that leads to Darren. Oh, that's right. Yes. And Darren... Is suddenly all sweet and, and he's, nice again. He's super happy to see her. Yeah. As if the graveyard trip never happened. Never happened. Darren tells her that she has nothing to be afraid of and that he loves her. Yes. They have sex with uh, Sarah Stiller in a little peach hijab. She takes off the rest of it, but she still just, has... Just got the hood. The head covering. Yes. Darren morphs into Darren Colt from Purgatory. Yes, he does. And then the sex gets real good. It gets really good at that point. And this is, again, a moment when... Uh, so many sex scenes are very pornographic. Like, and here it's mostly just like, oh, she's she's fully off the deep end. Like, right. This is more just sort of like a sort of a natural, just them having sex moment. Exactly. There's and there's no loving shots of her body. There's no no all, no. There's it's, not even any loving shots really of his body, which you would almost expect since this is her fantasy. All the nudity is very perfunctory. Like we don't get. Yeah. Uh, uh, head and breast shot of Alison no, Brie. No. It's it's always, it's either in a wide shot yeah. or it's the only just shot, out of view. The only time I noticed that I could see her breasts at all was they were pressed together. So they're like yeah. you could didn't even like really see them. They were just there. Yeah. Yeah. And here's where the movie definitely tips it towards it's not real because clearly Darren Cross is not there having sex <laughs> with her. Unless that is part of the conspiracy. You True. Don't know. You don't know. Later, as Sarah folds some fabric, Purgatory Darren sits at a sewing machine. Yeah. Then when she looks over at him, he's not there. Again. Yes. Very much laying the uh, idea that this is not real. Yes. And here we get one of the best sequences. As Sarah kneels over on her floor, we see the ceiling of her bedroom is a field of stars. Mm, That's right. Oh my God, this is so good. Sarah cuts some fabric, revealing a bright white light pipes and wood like the interior of a wall sarah crawls inside so good and when she looks back she sees the stars because the plane has shifted and she is now looking horizontally at the stars that were her ceiling this scene is what the show is made for (laughs) it's it's such a brilliant concept it's so beautiful sarah wanders in the white void eventually seeing shadow creatures with long rapidly moving fingers over unconscious bodies it looks like a demon that you would see in ash versus evil dead it's great because this sounds like the shadow creature monsters that you hear people talk about or sleep paralysis demons sleep paralysis demon could be great fucking effect uh she finds a ladder and ascends and apparently this leads to the bedroom of her disabled friend yes uh she crawls into bed with her and goes to sleep and this is where i think it it does come back in because i think they're what we're supposed to get from is that she just she just wants everything and everyone to be okay she just wants to be with her friend okay for them to be happy together and for her friend not to constantly sort of drift off in the middle of conversations and for her to be safe true and i think this is like her little happy place of 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 every nothing nothing bad has happened everything's still fine and because uh her friend is disabled sarah can really say she can really be herself yeah she doesn't need to worry about any judgment so right. it's it's very much a safe space for her yes her friend is i think i think uh earlier on in the film when there was a or a caretaker of her friend, maybe her mom, said to her, it really means a lot that you keep showing up. Like, yeah. it's a burden. on." I think, yeah, I think for Sarah, it's not a burden for her to 
be there. I think for Sarah, it's this is an escape uh, yeah. to, to be with her friend. And this is this whole sequence, this whole uh, delusion bit. Mm-hmm. When I first watched it, it felt like thirty minutes. It felt like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, the back third of this movie is all this sequence. <laughs> And yeah. on my second watch, it was so, and that in a good way. Like I was like, right, this right. is fantastic. No, and on my second watch, it was over like that. Yeah, uh, which is always how it goes. It does kind of feel like Act Three. Yeah, when you're first watching it anyway. But it's fucking brilliant, and it's it's a masterpiece of filmmaking. Bloody fantastic. She goes to sleep next to her friend, mm-hmm. but she wakes up back in the mental facility mm-hmm. in the bed of another woman who is yes. apparently her roommate, even though there was no roommate before. Also, the roommate is the girl from her dream. The woman? Yep. The other person in Sarah's white room dream. Yeah. She says she went to sleep in 1995 and woke up now. Mm-hmm. And all the buildings are different, and she doesn't know what she's supposed to do, and no one believes her, obviously, because that's a crazy thing to say. That's not Brad saying that last part. That's what she says, yes. obviously, because that's a crazy thing to say. And Sarah tells her she's seen her in her dreams and believes everything she's telling her. Yes. And she tells her, like, you've seen... A glowing ramp you've seen uh, a white room and the woman was like how do you know about that and it's this yeah. it's another again the most fucking boring question i think a movie can ask is is it real or is it not right you need to have a lot more going on in your film than that which this does yes and here's where it sort of tips where it's like well maybe it is real maybe it isn't that's not quite how I took it. I I took it as as I'm not sure that that girl is even there. I think that this it's, might just be Sarah. But again, it's sort of part of the twisty nature of the movie of like, is she there? Is she not? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as we're about to find out, when she uh, talks to her social worker the next day, yes, one he says it's she's been there 72 hours, right? So they're going to release her, and she says, "I've only been here one night." Yes, and she also says, "You said that." We talked weeks ago, and he said, I don't... No. No, I didn't say that. Uh, and, yeah, so there's, there's like, a lot of confusion. So she's she's been misinterpreting a, a lot of things that have been going on yeah. around her. Uh, and, Grant, the doc- I thought the doctor said something about her roommate, but the doctor is just like, you shouldn't... I, I'm here. Yeah. You shouldn't take advice from other patients. Yeah. And, and she, she has a great line, well, it's not advice, it's the truth. Right, and she says, well, she says something about my roommate. And he says, your roommate? And she says, oh, you're not going to tell me that she wasn't real. And he says, no, I don't know anything about your room assignments. Yeah. So we we genuinely don't know if that girl was real or not. True. Whether she was real or not, she had a great effect on Sarah, who's like, yes. I'm not a clone anymore. No. I'm just my grandmother. Right, she's figured it out. It's not a clone thing, it's a time loop thing. And this is not the point of the movie, but it is mm-hmm. a point that the movie makes, that the mental health system in this country fails people often. Yes. Because Sarah is getting discharged, even though she is saying these things. Because she's not going to kill herself, therefore she's not their problem Yeah, anymore. and they can only hold you for 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And again, Ethan is such a small character. He appears in two scenes. Yes. But he is so fully realized because he is like... Uh I've made an appointment for you. Yes. Uh, Again, he is powerless to do anything. She is getting discharged no matter what he says. Right. But he's like, I made an appointment for you. I hope you go. Yeah. Not saying like, you need to go. No, I hope you go. I believe in you. I I believe that you have potential. 
and I think that you should go. And then he asks very trepidatiously, what are you planning to do? And she gives one of those cryptic movie smiles where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm. we know she's not going to say, but she has a plan. Yes. After getting this charge, Sarah puts on her grandmother's dress, styles her hair just like her grandmother. Now, I want to point out, this could be after she's discharged, or it all could also be her thinking about what she's planning on doing after she leaves. True. All right. That because that that was how I interpreted it. But, oh, all right. Yeah. I again, I I. But it I, could go either way. I saw more of the movie playing the is it real or isn't game, mm-hmm. where I was like, she's actually doing this. Yeah. Much like Eraserhead, this film, in my interpretation anyway, tells a story from one person's perspective, and therefore you cannot trust what you see. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's an unreliable narrator story. She steals Willow the horse. Mm-hmm. Have you ever stolen a horse? Uh, not yet, but if, you want all, to? if all goes well with my cannibalism plans, I will be getting one. What does a horse have to do with cannibalism? Well, once I have the horse wrapped in the Doctor Who fabric, the police can't get me. So I'm going to kidnap uh, Ron, and I'm going to uh, put him on the tie him up, put him on the back of the horse, wrapped up in Doctor Who fabric as I am, and we will both ride to safety, and that way no one can catch us. But when do you eat a person? Well... Well, I get him to my safe location, which is a building I have also wrapped in Doctor Who fabric. And then once I'm in that safe location with the horse, the horse and I shall dine on uh, Ron. On Ron, and uh, then we shall make love. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I have also not stolen a horse. <laughs> uh, I don't think I want a horse. Sure. Uh, well, you hate horses, apparently. I'm not. <sighs> horses get too much love. That's my thing. <laughs> I'm going to admit to a little bit of hipster sentiment where they're a popular animal, so I'm just sort of like, fuck horses. Right. Don't actually fuck horses, or don't be fucked by a horse, uh-huh. but down with the sentiment of horses. Are you also down on on wolves? Because wolves are also very popular. <sighs> wolves are fine because people, like, you can't go out and ride a wolf as much True. as as gnarly True. as that would be that would be awesome That'd meanwhile be people are riding horses all over and fucking obsessing over it's the same thing with jeeps <laughs> not a jeep fan i again the culture behind jeeps oh. is so fucking weird fair enough fair but enough. uh and she goes to a clearing in the woods yes as she's walking sarah passes by the craft store Joan looks out just in time to catch the hindquarter of the horse. Yes. Just like in the opening. Just like in the opening. And now here, again, here's why I say the movie is playing that game. Right. Because the only two perspective shifts we get are when Joan sees this horse. Right. And if we trust Joan, then mm-hmm. she is seeing this weird time warp thing. That is true. Now, that that I don't have a ready-made answer for. Well, yeah. guess you got to get fucking executed in movie court. <laughs> Sarah takes off her shoes and lays down. Mm-hmm. We see a bright light, and Sarah's pulled up into the sky towards a bunch of bright lights. Yes. Then she's gone. Yes. And that's how the movie ends. Exactly. And... There was something from the very beginning of the movie that I I wrote down in my notes because it was like, it was something I noticed, and I didn't know where the movie was going yet at that time, so I just, I noted it. But okay. now, looking back on it from the perspective of having just talked about this whole movie... The beginning of the movie opens with us looking up into the blue sky, a clear blue sky. Yes. And then we we zoom in on it until it's all we can see is this blue, and then we see scissors cutting through the blue, uh, and it's the fabric, oh, the blue shit. fabric. 
And I just realized that that's kind of a hint at where the movie... Well, it's definitely a visual... uh, Becomes a visual callback. Yeah, it not only becomes a visual callback, but it's also sort of this element of things you see can't always be trusted. They're not always the same things. And and, uh, a lot of times Sarah finds herself just staring at, not necessarily fabric, but like uh, drains a lot of the time. Yes. Just sort of like disassociating while looking at things and imagining them to be other things. This Especially is, when in regards to the sky. This is a well-crafted movie. This is a tremendous and movie. And that's why I definitely wanted to do an episode on it because, like I said, overlooked our, and underloved. In our Oscars roundup, we would not have been able to give it the same kind of love that we like to give yes. movies in individual episodes. And, and this, this movie is worth your time. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I... In one of the interviews I read, Allison Brie was like, this is for the Reddit crowd. All you guys who like to analyze stuff on Reddit, this is for you. <laughs> and I felt so bad. She must have been so disappointed that like, yeah. and it's such a personal film for her. It is a personal that, film like, for her. And I don't understand why people didn't latch I'm on really, to this. So I, I read that review that I read at the beginning to Kaylee, my, my wife. Uh, I read that. My to, wife. My wife. I read that review to her and I was like, what? What were they talking about? Because again, it, it says it it's not it doesn't feel like it, it touches on the subjects it's talking about enough. And for me, that was kind of the point, because Sarah's not going to understand no. what's happening to her. This is about her experience. And we've never I've never seen that before. No. So that was great. But I so I, I read this to, to Kaylee and I was like, what are they talking about? And Kaylee's like they're mad the movie didn't hold their hand. They're, yeah. They're, and I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone, but that's what it feels like. It feels like the movie didn't hold your hand, didn't take you through, didn't like point at everything and be like, this is what we're doing, children. The cow yeah. goes moo. And and if that's really where that review is coming from, come on. Like, watch the yeah. fucking movie and... and Smoke something and and enjoy the fucking ride. Jesus, I never, I never like to give the uh, analysis that like, oh, you didn't get it. I hate that too. I hate that too. But whatever you get from a movie, you get from a movie, whether right, you enjoy right. it or not. Yeah. But I think you're right. This isn't a movie that's like in a traditional like psychological thriller, mind bender type movie. Right. This would be much more standard and you'd get much more like uh there wouldn't be as much visually interesting things. It wouldn't de- sure. it would not follow solely from the perspective of No, if this was an Oscar movie, uh this movie would have spent a lot more time with uh, Molly Shannon's character yes. being like, oh, I'm so worried for my friend. I hope she's okay. Stuff like that. And this is just not... Man, I love this movie so much. I love it too. <laughs> I'm so and, happy I finally watched this movie. I wish I would have watched it sooner. Alison Brie, if you have listened to this episode, for whatever reason, you listen to us describing a movie you already made <laughs> and wrote, like you're not sick of your own work already, uh... Listen, we fucking love this movie. We love this movie. I'm you not are on Reddit. seen Allison Brie. I'm not on Reddit, but thank you. This is exactly thank the kind you. of movie that I wanted to watch this week. I hope she continues to create things, not just as an actress, but yeah. as a, a creative director. I hope she goes and she does whatever the fuck she wants to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know a whole Same lot with about the director and most of the actors in this cast absolutely yeah i don't know a lot about alison brie but from the little bit i've heard her talk she seems like a very 
outgoing, very personable lady. Yeah, she seems so great. So it was great. And it seems like she mostly plays very meek characters. Uh, I've seen her play quite a few uh, horrid bitches recently. Okay. In movies. <laughs> Especially in Promising Young Woman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was fantastic in that. Yes. But uh, in Glow, she's sort of mousy, sort of meek. Okay. Uh, so I, I guess that's my... And in Community, she's... Oh, yeah. She was a much more uh, sensitive character yes. in, in Community. So it's... it's Granted, that seems to be a bit of her bread and butter, but I always sure. like that she's able to channel the awkward and the the socially anxious. This performance, I, I'm going to amend what I previously said. No question, she should have been nominated for this. She should have been nominated, and the score should have been nominated at least. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that would have required people to have seen this movie. Yeah, though. exactly. Um, well, that's the fucking problem, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else you'd like to say about Horse Girl? No, nothing. I, I, I think we pretty much covered it we didn't have as much to talk about as many bits this episode but yeah really but all we had to say about it was fucking watch this movie fucking watch horse girl yeah. and then listen to us talk about how great horse girl is <laughs> which you've already done at this point if right. you've reached this point of the podcast congratulations yeah. you followed orders next week yes will most likely <laughs> depending on the order that these episodes come out depending on the order but will most likely be our oscar well Next time we get together... God, it's so fucked up, because Horse Girl might come out before any other episodes. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what, the next episode we're recording is the Oscars Oscar episode, Roundup episode. Which will probably be Who the next one. Who knows when the fuck you're going to hear that. <laughs> but Well, that before is... the Oscars, definitely. <laughs> but we have a Fantastic Four episode. We have a Fantastic Four episode that is three hours long. <laughs> Maybe. And cannot be three hours long. <laughs> so we're trying to cut it down as much as we can. But that's taking time, so uh, we could do the whole 2020 roundup thing before then. Who knows? Just keep listening. Just the few listen people to our who podcast. Do. Yeah. Just listen to our podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Right. Bye-bye. Stop it. Give her a save. Uh-huh. I need-